Hey everybody, I'm Alicia and welcome to the Medicine and Color podcast, a platform where I highlight the voices of men and women of color in all aspects of medicine and elevate their stories for the world to hear. Let's get to it. What's up, y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Medicine and Color podcast. If this is your first time listening, I am Alicia, the creator and host of the podcast. I'm so happy that you found this platform, and I want to thank you for tuning in. If you are a returning listener, as always, I thank you for your continued support. I have the joy of sharing stories with some brilliant women and men who are changing the face of medicine, and this week is no exception. I'm excited to share my conversation with one of the best clinicians I've had the joy of spending time with, and that is Dr. Michael Hicks Black. During my third year rotations, I was on Dr. Hicks' service for child and adolescent psychiatry. This was hands down the most impactful rotation I've had. I saw firsthand how trauma deeply influences the lives of our young people. We hear about adverse childhood events and what it does to child's development, but seeing it in real time is absolutely life-changing. Over the course of my month on her service, I developed a deep appreciation for the work she does and for the kiddos I had the pleasure of serving each day. Y'all, these kids were brilliant chess masters, adamant readers, budding comedians, intellectual vanguards, and I believe they will be the leaders of their generation. Because of that experience, I now think about child behavior differently and take caution in judging based on the outward presentation. I asked myself, what happened to that child? Y'all, from jump, it was clear that Dr. Hicks loves the work she does. She's respected and adored by her colleagues, and the children she serves day in and day out are forever changed by her presence. So let me briefly tell y'all about Dr. Hicks. Dr. Michael Hicks Black is a child and adolescent psychiatrist located in metropolitan Philadelphia. As a lead clinician, Dr. Hicks Black covers various inpatient units within the hospital where she manages patients from diverse backgrounds with intricate trauma narratives and complex psychopathology. She genuinely feels she turned her purpose into passion and feels blessed to work in communion with the families and children that walk her units. When thinking about her life, Dr. Hicks offered this quote, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Pablo Picasso. Y'all, this conversation was super fun, insightful, and Dr. Hicks dropped some gems for us on the ebbs and flows of managing your inner circle. Dr. Hicks, I salute you, I honor you, and I appreciate you. Y'all, here's my conversation with Dr. Michael Hicks Black. Enjoy. Dr. Hicks. Hey! How's it going? Um, Yeah, going well, going well. Thank you so very much for saying yes. Um, I'm excited to talk to you. I had the pleasure of spending time with you uh, back in February of this year, uh, one of my third year rotations, and um, really wanted to, midway through, I was like, I want to talk to you. I want to have a conversation (laughs) with you. Really not even midway through, maybe like the end of the first week. Um, Oh, that's cool. But uh, yeah, so I'm excited to have a conversation with you, and I appreciate you for saying yes. Um, so tell me, first question I ask everyone is, uh, what do you do and why? What do I do? I feel like that's such a loaded question, but I'll try to 
conceptualize it. So I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist. Um, I don't even see it as work. It's a calling. I love my babies. And more than anything, they push me every single day. Um, My why, I think it goes back as far as I can remember, just the need to connect with people, to understand people's stories, and to really get a greater appreciation, not just for who we are as a person, but to look inwardly and say, you know, how can I continue to develop and grow as a human and care about others? So my why has always been just to connect with others. Um, and right now, I just want to make the biggest impact that I can with my little one's lives. They're so cute. You can yeah. see they're adorable. <laughs> they are. They are. I will say. <laughs> it's an easy why. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, you are exceptional at what you do. Uh, and it was very like evident when I first got there. Um, so, again, I spent a month with you on child and adolescent psych. And um, you, they, the kids love you. It's very clear that you love what you do. So what drew you to uh, child and adolescent psych? Like, how did you get here? Right. So I think it's always important to, once you kind of hit that finish line, to look back and see, you know, what started me in that race to begin with. Um, And it really, I had to take that position because I just kept like falling into these little grooves that sent me down this path. And then that led to the next path. But now that I reflect and I look back, I think it was always going to be that mission. I think it was always going to be that end goal. Um, My best friends growing up were children that were in the foster care system. Um, My parents were not fortunate enough to have other children. So my mom's best friend was she ran a therapeutic foster home. And so from a very young age, I would hear these stories, right? So we're just doing slumber parties and we're hanging out and these are my friends and I'm like 11. Uh, But It was just hearing their stories and what they had gone through, persevered to get to that moment, to be in that therapeutic foster home. And I said, you know what? One, I love kids. They're probably the most genuine people on the face of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If they love you, they love you. And if they don't, you probably should look at yourself. It's like man in the mirror, right? It's a man in the mirror moment. And I just remember saying, I have to do something with kids. I have to find a way to just make this be my daily existence. And next thing I knew from med school and then having an option to do rotations, every elective I was taking ended up being something in the mental health field and especially dealing with children. So I just feel like it kind of drew me in, you know, the dream called me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what, um, what, what made you pursue medicine? Let's, let's start there. Like what made you pursue medicine? So I was unfortunate enough to have terrible asthma. You can actually hear me like clearing my throat today. It's been like even the change of season. And unfortunately, as a result of that, there was days and weeks that I would be in a hospital bed, NEP treatments around the clock, nurses coming in and checking on me. And I just remember being like, wow, even though I felt physically terrible, when somebody walked in the room, they were able to immediately lift my spirit, you know, whether it was a nurse or a physician or even my parents, my parents themselves have really been served as probably the biggest role model that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just watched as I went through those years of not feeling well, but my spirit not being broken to say, if I ever had the opportunity to serve in that capacity, um, I would love that that chance. Um, I cannot say that the apple fell too far from the tree. My mom is actually a pediatrician and she loves her work. Mm-hmm. And so it just felt like a natural transition to pursue medicine, to give back to my community and to also, you know, 
really tie in the mental well-being from like body, mind, spirit, soul, everything. So medicine to look at the physical ailments, but at the same time to really make sure that people had balance and kids especially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things that while, while I was with you, um, I wrestled with personally, I remember telling you this, like, I'm having a hard time because I can't fix this. Um, how do you manage in the midst of, you know, knowing that you are of service to these kids who are absolutely brilliant. Like these kids are amazing. Just champions. Like, like, like just amazing, (laughs) just absolutely stellar kids, but have experienced levels of trauma that, um, many of us will never experience at such a young age. How do you manage, um, how do you manage taking on that load or maybe, you know, how do you manage, yeah, taking on that load and also, you know, caring for yourself in the process? Right. And I think it's great when people can see firsthand what we do, right? Because you will see a commercial flash on the TV screen and realize that kids are going through a mental health crisis in the midst of this pandemic and, you know, the anxiety and the the depression rates, But when you really stare into those little eyes and you can kind of see the heartbreak filter through, but still like the smile that they can't stop from just being happy when you're like, yeah, I'll do a puzzle with you. Mm -hmm. I find that it's those little moments where I get to polish my girl's nails, have them look like beauty queens, do their makeup, and also just have them create their own narrative, you know, just allow them to share their voice that it pushes me. I will not lie. I cry all the time. Okay. So it's the type of thing. I don't do it in front of the kids because I don't want them to ever feel as if they are burdening me with their story Mm -hmm. or I can't take it. But at the same time, they will notice that I will share big memories and emotions with them. So as they're telling their story, I'll say, you know what? I remember a time that I was bullied. So for you to be able to stand here today and tell me you push through, it hurts your feelings, but you're bigger and stronger because of it listen, all the applause to you. When they go back and they tell me their trauma narratives, in that moment, I probably slip into a caretaker's role, right? They're little. I take as little as five-year-olds. So as they're explaining their pain, not only does it push me to have that human, real human side of me kind of come out and crack that wall, I'm not just a psychiatrist sitting in front of them. Oh, what are you feeling? What are you doing? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? I instead say that hurts that never should have happened. And then I will be back in the car. I probably at that point have to like crank Beyonce or something or (laughs) Maxwell something to get myself back in that group, but it is hard. So I promote to my staff, including my social workers, my nurses, other uh, residents, or even co-attendings physicians to promote self-care. So you'll see me on a Friday saying, all right, babies, I'm going to do your nails. And then Dr. Hicks is also going to engage in some Mm self-care and I will find my way to pedicure chair. Right. Um, But the other thing that I want to say it has taught me is that people and kids especially are stronger than we can ever imagine. So I never feel pity for them ever because they're, they're stronger than most. Mm -hmm. So even in those moments, where I feel like I need to break down for them. They're like, Dr. Hex, like, look, like we're chilling. We're doing a puzzle. Yeah. We're good. I'm yeah. good. You're good. We're good. So in those moments, it allows me to reflect on resilience, the true mm-hmm. definition of resilience. It really yeah. does. Yeah. That's so good. Oh man. That's so good. Um, so if, when you look at the scope of your work and you look at um, all that you've seen in the, in our, in our, in the kids that you serve, uh, if you had, 
a magic wand, so to speak. Like if you could um, create an environment that is safe for children, what does that look like for you? I think that's a beautiful question because every so often I'm just like, if only I could get the ear of every single politician in the the nation, not even in this tri-state area, to really understand that it comes down to resources. Mm -hmm. It comes down to families, communities, people having the opportunity, right? To have a seat at the table, forget being in the room. It's the type of thing where they don't even know where the building is, okay? Mm -hmm. So I am trying in my little (laughs) capacity to really promote education, resources, pulling on community systems that are already in places, already in place, going to schools, speaking to our next generation. So even as I've been blessed to take care of adolescents that are then pursuing college, several of them now are saying, you know what, I think I want to go into social work. You know what, I think I want to go into legal, you know, legal pursuits, whether it's you start as a paralegal, but then you're going through the hoops. I believe that right now, the best thing that I can do is bring the awareness. But if I had a wand, I would allow my kids to have a real start at the the start line. Yeah. Because how are they going to even make it in the race to get to the finish line if they're not even signed up to participate? Um, I think one of the things that I eventually would love to do is really have a group home scenario where kids can have the resources and have the experiences of going to Broadway plays to, you know, participate in drama club, to be the chess kings and queens that I have seen my kids. They are spectacular. You know, we have even chess club and they really take that craft and that skill seriously. So I think one of the biggest things that I would love to change first would just to give them all the resources that they need to succeed, like literally an imaginary book bag where I'm throwing in adequate housing, safe neighborhoods, gun-free streets, drug-free, violent-free communities, and really just know that they have enough pencils when they need to sit down and do their homework. Mm -hmm. If they need to wear glasses, that they have a vision exam. If they have cavities and a tooth is bothering them to get them in the dentist chair and just really give them that first chance, that opportunity because I already know they're going to take the world by storm once they're in that race. They're, forget placing. They're going to win it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just want to get them there. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. For those who don't um, do the work you do, how do you explain to them the way in which you know childhood trauma presents in kids in schools, presents um, in adulthood? How do you get the point across that this is not just, oh, this child is acting out. There's something else there. Right. Um, I honestly just feel like having very candid conversations like this to explain that everybody has a family, right? So I do this with my trainees. I may have done it with you in the room, I'm not certain, but I will say who here has a family? Who here has somewhere they work somewhere? Who here remembers a childhood best friend? Who remembers their earliest happy memory? And so if you look, and you and I both, if we look at who we are today, a lot goes back to what we've come through, what we've been through, what we've experienced. And one of the biggest points that I realized is that really good, genuine human adults, when you have this conversation about, think about the impact of trauma in a child and then how that puts their life on a trajectory, why not have a piece of 
making history to then like add to that and to take away from that pain that the society is dealing with. So I just talk as often as I can. I mean, I will be probably at Target. They're like, oh my goodness, lady, you have like a thousand puzzles and all these blankets <laughs> and all these dress balls. You're okay. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. But let me tell you about my babies. There's a lot of kids right now that are living on a unit um, that don't have things don't even have basic undies. You probably see me do a run for like undies and training bras. Mm -hmm. But I think the more that we as adults have conversations with our family, with our friends, we break the stigma and we allow others to realize that it really is a dark world outside of our cute little bubble. Um, I think more people will join in the conversation and want to lend a helping hand. Yeah. Because sometimes I always, I felt early in my training, especially even in coming out of medical school and then residency, talking about like the unhappy moment, unhappy moments, because I didn't want to make my friends feel uncomfortable. Right. I didn't want to burden someone at a holiday party while I'm like, y'all spend how much on this ice sculpture? So I think more and more when I just said, you know what, like if ever you feel like donating to a cause or hearing about stories of people or children that I work with, let me know because I think you would be amazing at giving back. And the more I had that conversation and put my pride aside and let them crack that wall, they were happy to involve themselves in it. They really were. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey friends, are y'all enjoying my conversation with Dr. Hicks Black? I sure hope you are. She is doing impactful work every single day and is truly passionate about the kids she serves. If you're enjoying the conversation, be sure to subscribe and then head over to Instagram to follow us at Medicine in Color for updates and show releases. Share the episode with your family and friends or anyone who you think might benefit from it. Lastly, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a comment on IG to let me know your thoughts about the episode. Send me a DM or an email. I look forward to connecting with all of you. Now back to the second half of my conversation with Dr. Hicks, where we get into a bit about who she is outside of her work. Enjoy y'all. Um, so I want to talk about who Dr. Hicks is and like who, um, who you are in your work. We talked about who you are in your work, but let's talk right. about who you are outside of your work. So one of the questions I ask quite often is about, um, friendship circles and people who hold you up in this process, uh, because the medical school process, practicing medicine, life, adulting can be unrelentless at times and very unforgiving, especially in the midst of this. And so who, who's your support circle? Who are the folks in your group chat? Like, girl, Listen, I have found that that circle will change. It will evolve, mm -hmm. you know, um, and I want to say it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I had a lot of friends in college. I, I was part of, you know, a huge sorority chapter and I love all of that. And I've still maintained some of those friendships along the way. But now my circle and my tribe has gotten smaller because as I saw people's biases and I saw their ignorance and I saw their inability to look outside of that bubble, mm -hmm. I had to say my tribe had to be people that reflect my character, yeah. right? So there was no way that I was going to feel comfortable if I had people that were okay with making off-color jokes or inappropriate, you know, puns at somebody else's expense. So now it's literally like the crew. It's like the parents, the man, the baby, and my friends that I trust to, to act in my absence. Yeah. You always want to have somebody that you can call in, in a crisis, right? Mm -hmm. 
because I think a lot of us are used to just having people and friends, but I don't even need the acquaintances at this point, because really I want the people that serve as my emergency contact list, because I know not only will they care about my family, they will also care about the work that I'm doing and they will never undermine that process. Because sometimes we could be, you know, guilty by association and or collateral damage. And I've just realized I needed to limit what that would look like if somebody that I'm affiliated with made a wrong decision on a, you know, a reckless night. So right now it's just, it's really just the crew and I'm okay with that. I have found that they are the ones that protect my peace because, you know, friends will burden you with their, their issues. Yeah. If we talk about mental health, my mental health also has to come first as I'm trying to, you know, share love and pass peace and prosperity to my kids. So it's gotten smaller. I do a lot of play dates with other moms that understand. Uh, I, ha- I hang out with like my girlfriend circle and do brunch. But anytime the conversation goes left, I make a memory, I make a note, and then I delete a contact. Yeah. Really. Ooh. <laughs> really quick. You, oh, goodness. I need to, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that because you said a lot. <laughs> Um, and that was so good. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Okay, it's okay um, to do. Mm, that's so good. Um, what in terms of like mentors, if 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 you you know you get to lead trainees, you get to lead you know uh, in your workplace. Who has helped you along this in along this process and kind of mentored you along the way? Absolutely. So. I first and foremost must say my mother, um, she is a brilliant mind that pushed through, when I say pushed through, was in the Midwest when no one wanted her there, mm. training, learning, you talking about knowing medicine inside and out can probably walk us through any type of cycle we need. All of them fall out of my brain at this point, but she, <laughs> to this day, she studied, she knew her craft, she has taken care of inner city families and children and held a baby in the midst of a shootout. And so I would say that she has served probably as my biggest role model. Um, Even to this day, I'm still motivated by the work that she does because years later, she is still, you know, somebody's pediatrician. She's literally still giving back to her community and stepping up when it matters most. Um, My father as well, he ran several Boys and Girls Club throughout the city of Philadelphia. And I just always watched as they gave back to their community. They never forget where they came from. from. And more importantly, they kind of provided that old school spirit living in a new generation, right? So they were still able to impart the wisdom and say, hey, young guy, look at this. Or, hey, girl, you don't need to go down this route. Study, stay in school. Um, but they did it even with a fresh vibe, because I think sometimes older generations, they get stuck in that mentality and they can't see their way through understanding a new concept or trying to make sense of pronouns, but they are very much so like compassionate. They're lovers. They're probably the funnest people. And I got lucky, you know, to have them as my parents. Um, I have also really learned a lot from other women in color that went through medicine that did not hesitate to give back to me. So I have been blessed in a way that um, I even hope that you and anybody else that is coming to fulfill our shoes have the opportunity to really have those really good mentors. They they were patient with me as I like vented on the phone probably more often than I needed to having their personal contact, 
but they always said, you know what, Mike, it's okay. It's okay. It's hard. You're going to want to throw away your books. You're going to want to say, I can't do this. You're going to want to say this test is biased. Why do I have to take it anyway? Right. But they allowed me to have an ear, to have a seat at the table and they never minimized my role. Right. They were senior attendings at that point, but they never minimized my, my current state. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Um, uh, what I want to ask you. So what right now, what has been two questions kind of together? What has been the most challenging part of your work and what has been the most rewarding part of your work? Okay. I could probably start with the most challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unfortunately that I think, you know, I'm not naive enough to know that it doesn't only happen to me, but I often walk into the room and to this day, it still occurs where my role is invisible for a period of time until someone else announces me, right? So I can say, hi, I'm taking care of your child and I'm so excited. I'm getting to know them. They're beautiful. They're brilliant. And then it's like, who are you again, lady? And that happens more often than I would like for it to happen. But at the same time, because I'm, you know, I guess self-aware enough, I don't get caught up on the doctorate. I don't get caught up on the title. So I just reintroduce myself, but it does pain me a little bit that I keep having to have someone else vouch for me. Right. So we've gone through training, we've studied, we've done the time. So it happens often, but at the same time, I have an amazing circle of people that I work with that are like, no, this is your kid's doctor. And I think you should listen up mom and dad, because they're really building that clinical rapport with your child. So that's probably the one thing that still stings to this day. But all I do is I don't let it get to me. I realize that we're still living in this society and I just reintroduce myself. Allow me to reintroduce myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and the most rewarding is the daily interactions with my kids, the hugs all the way from running all the way to the end of the hall, all the way up the unit. Doctor, every day. When I leave, their little bodies form a fake wall and they sometimes block the door. So every day it's just getting to be with my kids, going down to the gym, playing dodgeball with them. They all got me that day. Um, races uh, to the finish line. They literally love to race me. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's my workout. So I'm just like, I'm doing it twofold at this point. <laughs> but it's just hanging out with them every day. And then at the end of the day, coming home and seeing my little baby. So I wear her little, you know, it's always tucked in, but my baby's name necklace. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's, what's pushing me at this point, the kids, my family, and really just, you know, not letting this pandemic swallow us. Yeah. It's been hard, but it's not going to swallow us. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, That's good. Um, since you mentioned the pandemic, I'll, I'll, I'll ask about it. Um, how has how has navigating the pandemic been for you? In a behavioral setting, it is quite challenging to mm-hmm. say the least. Uh, we probably struggled more than people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, when other people in you know just pure medical settings were demanding PPE, we requested it, but we continued to persevere and push through. There mm-hmm. was days where my partner and I were back to back as girls, adolescent girls were having fights, throwing buckets of emesis. And we're like, today I got COVID today, just now. And so it was the type of thing where we realized how strong we were. And at the same time, 
it had us really, really check into the well-being of mental health and kids. Because I think for a while it went by unnoticed, maybe a handful of years prior to this. Mm -hmm. But now the isolation, the social withdrawal, kids are sitting in waiting rooms and in crisis centers right now because whole families are cracking. Mental health is obviously an issue. It was there all along, but I think more than anything now, really people are appreciating this. So for us, we just, we dug deep, we dug inwards, we like surrounded each other. We would cry at the end of days, like everybody feeling well, tell me how you're feeling a few days from now. We constantly checked in with one another. Yeah. And we didn't hesitate to say, I need a moment, right? So there was just times where we had to go in our office. I had to put my head down on my desk. I probably even filled the ears of some medical students like today was really tough. And they're like, it's okay. And I'm like, it's okay to be human in the midst of all this and say, it's been challenging. It's yeah. Been really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that I, I appreciate you. There was maybe my first week there and I was telling you about how I was kind of feeling. And I'm like, you know, on Friday, I'm not going to come. Right. <laughs> like, it's fine. What's up, y'all? I hope you are enjoying my conversation with Dr. Hicks. As the episode comes to a close, I just want to say thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for tuning in and for supporting the podcast. If you ever want to reach out to me, drop me some DMs or a comment in the comment section on Instagram or email me at medicineandcolor at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I look forward to connecting with everyone. And again, thank you so much for listening. Now, here's the end of my conversation with Dr. Hicks. Enjoy, y'all. Um, let's do some fun questions. So okay. when you are like, if, let's say this is, you know, 1999, right? If, you know, oh, what you, what 1999. Yeah, you had to go back to, I mean, or I'm dating time. myself. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm dating myself, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, that was a really long time ago. <laughs> um, what song is on repeat for you? Wow. So if I'm thinking of, that time frame, and let me do the math. That's like 22 years ago. That's like a while ago, right? That's a while ago. I didn't realize it was that long Wait ago. Wait a sec. Okay, so I am <laughs> early adolescence at this mm-hmm. point. So chances are I am like jamming out in my best friend's room, singing like "Where Are My Girls At" or like oh "Monica, Angel of Mine." Yes. Or something that had to do with like that like fun era of like hip hop, but you're like transitioning into the uh, 2000s. And I really think more than anything, we would be just like taking parts, right? So I would just be like singing like Monica and she would do Brandy or something like that. I just know that we would be like singing, like singing in my best friend's room, probably trying to record a song. You remember how you had to catch it? Like, girl, you didn't start the tape. I said, start the tape. So yes. it was probably something like that where we were having those moments, doing each other's hair, trying to figure out how to do a weave and something like that. It was probably something like that. Yeah. You said <laughs> record a tape. Yeah. Recording a tape, like hitting it off the radio. That is like, wild. Now hit, hit the record. Yes. I remember that. Oh my God. <laughs> a tape. People listening to this probably don't even know what a tape is. Honestly. They're like, what is that? What is a tape? Quite honestly, they don't know. So if you had to choose, this is an odd question, to eat one meal for the rest of your life every day, what would it be? Probably my mom's lasagna. Ooh, I would just eat it because when she makes a pan, it's like, it's ridiculous. You know how you, you go back and you're like, there was more left. Mm -hmm. I'm that person in the family where she's like, I made a huge pan. Where's all the lasagna? So 
probably from now until I'm 87, I will always eat my mom's lasagna. It's my favorite thing. It's so good. Listen, yeah. Uh, What is inspiring you right now? Like what is driving for you? Um, I've been like negotiating and renegotiating that because something that I was excited back in the last season, like shifted, like all of a sudden, I don't know if it's the holidays. Um, for a while it was this need to, you know, book a trip. Eventually the world's going to open up, book a trip. And then all of a sudden now in this season, I just want to be at home as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I think really like the family time is starting to inspire me again. Cause for a while I was taking a lot of shifts at the hospital, um, wanting to be in celebratory mode, book a flight somewhere. And right now I'm just like, Oh my goodness, I'm looking forward to the holidays and just like cuddling up and, you know, really being with my crew. Yeah. 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 And inspirationally speaking from, a work perspective. I think the fact that we just got a new handful of kids that have really been through some really dark stuff. I mean, I've been doing this work for a while, but the trauma is on another level is really getting into their little brains and saying like, how are you able to keep pushing? Like what keeps you going every single day? Because that's a new level of resilience. So in terms of the work, just what does this generation's resilience factor look like? Like I have little kids that grew up and came from a part of the city where literally it's like zombie land and they are tougher than I could have ever imagined. So just really figuring out how did they keep going? That's really the inspiration right now. Yeah. Because we need a dose of whatever that is. You're talking about a vaccine. I need a dose of how do these kids keep going? You know, Yeah. yeah. how do they keep going? That's good. Um, okay. Final question for you. Uh, when it's all said and done, when you reflect on your life, what do you want your legacy to be? I would love to have someone just say, you know, she gave a lot to those she loved, Mm -hmm. right? So if it's family, if it's work, she laid it all out on the table and she tried to create a better community for her community. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Thank you, Dr. Hicks. Absolutely. Yeah, this was fun. Dr. Hicks. Oh, my baby. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. Yeah, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your yes. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I appreciate the work you're doing. This is powerful. Keep using this platform. Keep pulling others along the dialogue and and include them in the conversation because you're changing. You're changing the face of medicine. You really are. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely.